right, good morning everyone. Good to see you all here this morning. As Shane said, if you would open up your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Let me ask you a question as we get started today. How many of you like to do garden work? Raise your hand. All right, so those of you that like to garden, you understand gardening. Uh, well, maybe I would ask the question, how many of you like to do garden work and you understand gardening? Um, so uh, you understand what gardening is like. You, you understand what it takes to be a good gardener and all that. You're, you're going to understand uh, this message this morning. Uh, for me, I'm not a good gardener. Uh, to tell you how bad of a gardener I am, several years ago when uh, I was in Liberal, uh, one of our church members gave me a cactus to keep in my office. And I thought, well, that's cool, because a cactus I can keep alive, right? Now, keep in mind, my office was in the middle of the building. There's no windows. There's no sunlight. But you cannot kill a cactus. So I'm good. I take this nice little cactus plant, and I put it on a shelf. And uh, I would look at it every now and then, and thought, eh, it's just a cool-looking little cactus. Well, after a few months of this cactus being in there, the cactus started shriveling up. Like, How does that happen? Cactus do not die. So I asked my wife, my wife is the gardener of the family, and I asked her, I said, why is that cactus dying? She said, well, when was the last time you watered it? You don't have to water a cactus, do you? Well, apparently you have to water cactus. So I can even kill cactus. So I, I don't do any gardening. She don't trust me with her plants. If she has to be gone, somebody else is going to have to water the plants. Uh, because I will, I will kill them. That's how good of a gardener that I am. Uh, but some people love to garden, and aren't, aren't you grateful for this beautiful weather we've had this weekend? It, uh, it kind of gets us in the mood to garden, but not me. Uh, I, I love the results of a good garden, but I'm not the guy to take care of the garden. Well, over the past several weeks, we've been looking at the I Am statements of Jesus that are found in the book of John. Now, I love the book of John, and uh, if you're looking for a book, maybe you're uh, wanting a, a book to read through in, over the next several days, the book of John is a great book to do that. It's 21 chapters long. You can take uh, 21 weeks, and, or 21 days, you can take weeks if you want, 21 days, read a chapter a day, and you can be through the book of John in 21 days, and I promise you, you'll be blessed just by reading through the book of John. There's so much good stuff in the book of John, and it's in the book of John that we've been going through with these I am statements of Jesus. And as we have looked at these I am statements, we have seen the character of Christ, we have seen the nature of Christ, we have seen the deity of Christ, and we have seen uh, humanity's need for Christ in our life. We see that through all the different I am statements that Jesus makes uh, through this passage. And today, we're going to see it in our passage again as we come to the last I am statement of Jesus, where Jesus says that I am the true vine. Now, this is a very important statement that Jesus makes, just like all the other statements, but it's an important statement that we need to really dig into today and understand what it is that he is saying. Now, keep in mind where we've been with Jesus. He, he's been in the upper room with the disciples. It's the, the final few days of his life. 
And while he was in the upper room with the disciples, there were several things that went on, and he was sharing with them several things that he wanted them to understand. But it was in this upper room where they had the final meal together, where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. It was in this upper room setting where Jesus took time and he washed the disciples' feet to help them understand what it is to to be a servant in God's kingdom. It was also in this upper room where he dismissed Judas as Judas was going to go out and betray the Lord. If you remember, as we talked about last week a little bit, it was also in this upper room where uh, he tells Simon Peter that, uh, Simon Peter, you're going to end up denying me three times. As Simon Peter was arguing with him, saying, no, I am ready to die with you. And to give Simon Peter credit, uh, when they come to arrest Jesus, you know, Simon Peter whips out the sword and he cuts off the ear of a soldier. That is a good friend. That is one that's there to stand beside you. And uh, he, he was a good friend, but he was bad with a sword. How do you hit a guy's ear? And Jesus reached down and picked up that ear, and he places it back on that soldier. And uh, Simon was a good friend. But, but Jesus is taking this time, and, and he's really investing in, in the lives of the disciples as he's getting ready to leave, and he's been preparing them for this moment, but they still don't realize what's going to happen. Well, in our passage today in John chapter 15, they have now left the upper room, and they're headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it is there that Jesus gives them uh, this passage that we're looking at today. Last week we saw where Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he explains to them that in order to get home, in order to get to heaven, you have to go through me. And after that, he begins to tell them that even though I'm leaving, I'm going to leave you a helper. And he talks about the Holy Spirit. And now he tells them that I'm the vine. And you need to remain in me. So we pick up here in John 15, chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 1 as we read through. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. The statement in verse 8 is very important because Jesus says, when you bear much fruit, you are my disciples. How do you know today if you are a true follower of Christ? How do you know today if if you are a true disciple 
And he tells us right here, he said, you will know that you are a true disciple. You'll know that you're truly one of my followers when you bear much fruit in your life. And this is important for us to know because there's nothing more important than knowing that we are in God's family. There's nothing more important in our life here on this earth than salvation. There's nothing more important than when this life is over, knowing that we are going to spend eternity with Christ in heaven forever and ever. The most important decision, you hear it here all the time, the most important decision that you can make in your life is knowing that you are a child of God. And the way that you become a child of God that we saw last week is only through Jesus Christ, and He must be our Lord and Savior. So it's important for us to get that today. He says that you will know that you are mine when you bear fruit. So as we break this passage down today, there are three things that I want us to consider this morning. I want us to consider, first of all, His purpose. Second, we're going to consider our purpose. And then we're going to take a look at a promise that we see here. So the first question is, what is His purpose? What is the purpose of Christ? And to put it very simply, the purpose of Christ is to be what we cannot be. Now, I know that's, that's a profound statement today, right? He is to be what we cannot be. That's all we need to hear. Let's go home and we'll enjoy the rest of our week, right? Before you leave, though, let me explain a little bit what I, what I mean by that. Um, when he talks about, when we talk about him being what we cannot be, we need to understand who he is and exactly what he is saying. And in this passage, Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. Jesus here is proclaiming his divine nature. He is proclaiming his deity. And again, we have seen this over and over and over through each one of these statements. How is Jesus proclaiming his deity? By his statement, I am. That's how. That simple statement, I am. To understand that statement a little better, we need to go back to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, you have the Lord speaking to Moses in the burning bush. Got Moses' attention. And he's telling Moses that, that you're going to go, and you're going to go to Pharaoh so that Pharaoh will release my people. Now, this is a big task for Moses. And Moses begins to uh, argue a little bit with the Lord, and he's saying, I, I don't know about this. And he says, if I go to the people... And I tell them that this is what we're going to do. They're going to say, well, what is the name of the one that sent you? And what am I going to tell them? And so the Lord says, okay, you go to the people. And when they ask you who sent you, you tell them I am. Now I'm picturing Moses out there with the Lord and it's nice and quiet. And the Lord says, I am. And Moses is waiting for the rest of that statement. I am so the Lord says, all right, I'm going to tell you again. Moses, when the people ask you, you tell them, I am. I am who? So the Lord says, all right, Moses, obviously you're not getting this. So when you go to the people, you tell them that I am, I am has sent you. I am the I am. God was saying to Moses in that day, now, 
I added a little bit to that, so just so you know. Um, but what God was telling Moses that day when he was saying, I am that I am, he is letting Moses know that this is my eternal name. I am that I am. I am the one who was. I am the one that is. And I am the one that will always be. I am. And so now Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus is letting everyone know that him and the Father are one. He and God are the same. And he says, if, if you have seen the Father, you have seen me. And now we get into John, and here he is. He's saying, I am. Those are very important words. Jesus is telling us who he is. It is the deity of Christ. Throughout his teaching ministry, he's telling people that I am. You have to believe in me. He says, I am the bread of life. He is the only one that fills us up who can satisfy. I am the light of the world. He shows us the path in the darkness. I am the gate. He is the gatekeeper of the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd. He is the one who lays down his life for his sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in him will never die. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way home. He is the way to the Father. And now he says, I am the true vine. Abide in me because I am the great I am. And so his disciples, you can almost picture them in the garden as Again, they're not understanding everything yet, but Jesus is just pouring out into their life and he's saying, listen, I'm going to have to leave. I'm going to go away. I'm going to leave you a helper. But here's what you have to do. You have to continue to abide in me. Why? Because I am the I am. And we need to understand this, this statement of what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus said in John 8, 24, You will die in your sins unless you believe that I am who I claim to be. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, the I am. You will die in your sins. What does it mean to die in your sins? It means that unless you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, then when your life is over here on this earth, you will die in your sins and you will be separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying you have to believe that I am the I am. In John 3, 3, Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. John 3, 18, Jesus said, there is no judgment against anyone that believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. He is the I am. Now, I know that it's not politically correct. We mentioned this a little bit last week. Not politically correct to say that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And I know that, that people get offended in our world today when we talk about the reality of hell. But can I just let you in on something today? I would much rather you be offended at me today for mentioning hell and mentioning that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven than to be offended for all of eternity because you didn't hear the truth. So, Jesus says that I am. I am the vine. I am 
the I am. Now, I mentioned this last week too, that Jesus makes all these I am statements, but he didn't just simply make these statements. He backed each one of these statements up when he died on the cross and when he rose again. He backed up every word that he said. And so we can trust what he has said. So here on Jesus' final night with his disciples, he's, he's on his way to the, to the garden. He's, uh, he's about to pray a very intense prayer. It's not going to be long after that that he is arrested and he is tried. And so he's spending this time with the disciples. And he said, I am the vine. I'm the true vine. Now, in order for us to, to really get what this means, we, we have to understand a little bit about the vine. In the Old Testament, the imagery of the vine was used towards God's people. Israel was referred to as God's chosen vine. But unfortunately, what we see happening over and over is that Israel produced rotten fruit. And the reason that they produced rotten fruit is because they were disobedient to God in the ways that he was leading them. They were trying to do things on their own. You know the stories as you read through the Old Testament. They would do good and then they would step out on their own and they would end up doing not so good. So most of the time in the Old Testament, when you see Israel referred to as a vine, it's usually coming with some kind of judgment to follow because they haven't measured up, because they have done things on their own. So Jesus is telling the disciples that I am not just the vine, but I am the true vine. So I can picture this getting their attention of, wait a second, we know about the vine in the past, we've heard the stories, what is it that he's trying to tell us? And Jesus says that I am the true vine, and in essence he is saying that I am what you could not be. I am what you could not do. You have not been able to be fruitful on your own and in a way that pleases God. And so I am the true vine. I am for you what you could not do and what you could not be. So basically he's saying, I am the true vine. You can't do it on your own, but don't worry about that because I got this. And not only do I have this, but I have you. And again, he proves that when he goes to the cross, and he dies for our sins. When Jesus is sharing about him being the true vine, he is really sharing, again, the gospel message. You see, you and I have fallen, and we have come short of the glory of God. We can never measure up to God's standard on our own because of sin that is in our life. And Jesus looks at us, and he says, I got this. I got this. You're not going to be able to do it on your own, but I've got this. And not only do I have this, but I have you if you will place your faith and trust in me. If you will be connected to the vine, then it's going to be okay. I've got this. Isn't that great news today? That Christ has for us what we could never do for ourselves. He takes care of our failures, our faults, our insecurities, everything that we have. He takes care of it. He says, I've got this. Why? Because I am the true vine. Now, again, not much of a gardener, but one thing that I do know is that if you have a vine and you expect the branches to live, then the vine has to be alive too, right? If the vine dies, the branches die. But if the vine lives, 
then the branches will also live. Because it is the vine that provides life for the branches. So Jesus says here, he's given this image that you need to remain in me. And he talks about branches that are off on their own, that uh, they're not connected to the vine. Therefore, they are dead and they will never survive. But that branch can only live if the vine lives. And again, we know that Jesus Christ went to the cross. And we know that he died for our sins. But we also know that he rose three days later and he lives. And there was over 500 people that witnessed the resurrection Christ before he ascended into heaven. All kinds of witnesses. And we see the work that Christ continues to do because he is alive today. And Hebrews chapter 2 reminds us that he is not only alive, but he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Our Savior lives today. Our vine lives today. And when we remain in him, when we are connected to him, that is when we are truly alive today as well. His purpose to be what we cannot be. That is his purpose. So what's our purpose? Well, our purpose is very simple. He tells us in this passage, our purpose, my purpose, your purpose, is to bear fruit. That's all you have to do. Bear fruit, right? No problem. Got this? Can handle this? How well are we doing at bearing fruit? Well, I can tell you on our own, because we see it in this passage, we will not bear fruit on our own. We have to remain connected to him in order to bear fruit. But the point that Jesus is making here is very simple. In our lives, we are to bear fruit. Have you ever wondered what the purpose of your life is? Have you ever wondered, like I do sometimes, God, why am I alive even in this crazy world today? Why at this time? Why right now? Can I give you the answer to that? For those of you that have been wondering that, it's very simple. You are alive today to bear fruit. That's, that's how simple it is. Now, I know for many of us, including me, sometimes that is too simple of a message. So let's dig into it a little bit. What does it mean? In order for us to understand this, we have to know what fruit is. Now, I have to make a confession here. For many years, I lived my life like a lot of other Christians in my, in my spiritual walk. And I had my idea of what I have to do in order to be a good Christian. I have a list of things that are in my head. So in order to be a good Christian, uh, we'll start out, number one, you got to be in church every time the doors are open, check mark. Uh, you have to read your Bible at a certain time every day uh, for a certain length of time, check. Uh, you have to go out and you have to share your testimony with 10 different people this week so that they can have an opportunity to know Christ, check. And we've got all these different check marks, these do's and don'ts, because even on that list now there's things that you don't do. You know, you don't, you don't what is it? You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't cuss, and you don't go with women that do. Uh, so yeah, you've got these, you got these check marks. You know, you can check them all off, and we think somehow as long as I can check all the things off of this list, then, then my standing with God is going to be good, right? You know who that sounds like? Sounds like the Pharisees back in Jesus' day. So the Pharisees, in order to be a good Jew, they had all these rules that you had to follow. And basically what they did was they took the simple law of God that he gave in the Old Testament and they began to add to it. And so they had all these rules, all these regulations, all these things. If you want to be a good Jew, if you want to measure up 
to what they believed God's standard was, they had this whole list. And you had to do all these different things. And I want to tell you something. This is what I figured out in my life. If that is the way you're living your Christian life, that I've got all these do's and don'ts and I have to make sure everything is done, you will be disappointed. And I discovered in my life that all that checklist does is it leads to empty religion. That's all that is. And unfortunately, a lot of times in the churches, we do the same thing. You know, in the, in the church, you've got to have this program, you've got to have that program, you've got to do this on this night, you've got to do this on this day, and all these different lists of things that you have to do to be a good church. And if that's what a church is all about, I promise you, because I've seen it, all you end up with is dead religion. Now, not that those things are bad. Don't get me wrong in what I'm saying. Those lists aren't bad things to do. But if that's how we're trying to measure up to God, if that's how we're trying to be a good Christian, or whatever we want to call it, we're missing what Christianity is all about. We're missing what it means to to walk with Christ and to know Christ. And that's why he says here that here's what you have to do. Here's all it is. I'm going to make it so simple for you. All you have to do is remain in me. Abide in me. You know what that means? Be connected to Christ in fellowship with Him. Now, all these things we look at and we think, well, that's how we're going to get there. No, all those things should be an overflow of already being there. So when we are connected to Christ, when we're connected with the vine, then guess what? We love coming to church because we love fellowshipping with like-minded people. We love coming to church because we love worshiping together because now that worship is an overflow of what God has been doing in our life all week long. When we come to church, now we are sharing our faith with others out there in the world because we are so excited about what God has done in me and what God continues to do in me that I can't help but to tell other people about Jesus. It's an overflow of being connected to the vine. And that's what Jesus is pointing out to the disciples. He's telling them, listen, you need to be connected to me. You want to have power in your life? Remain connected to the vine. You want to have uh, hope in your life? Remain connected to the vine. You want to know what true life is in this world? Remain connected to the vine. Remain connected to me. Work on your relationship with me because that's what it's all about. And the rest will be an overflow. I think about this all the time. You know how exciting church would be on Sunday morning if every one of us got this every week? I'm going to confess. You know how exciting it would just be for me if I did this every week, all week long? But sometimes I get back into that old habit of, well, I got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And you know what that does? That puts it all on me and on my shoulders when Jesus Christ has already put it on his shoulders on the cross. And all I have to do is rest in him and abide in him. And all these things become that overflow in my life. And so, how does all this happen? Well, in order for us to really understand this, we have to know what fruit is. We have to understand what fruit is. So sometimes I think we get 
confused on, on what the fruit is that he's talking about here. But I think it's very simple. The fruit is the fruit that Paul mentions in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. All these different things. Now, I read that list and I, I got it. How about you? You got it? No. But what happens in our life? Notice what Paul said. How do we get all that? It is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life that produces all these different things. It is not your checklist that produces it. It is the work of God's Spirit. And again, the checklist becomes an overflow of that. So here's what I figured out in my life. If I don't have love, then I'm not going to have joy. If I don't have joy, then I'm not going to have peace. If I don't have peace, then I'm not going to have patience. If I don't have patience, I'm not going to have kindness. If I don't have kindness, I don't have gentleness. If I don't have gentleness, then I don't have self-control. So all that begins to work together. And notice that he doesn't say these are the fruits of the Spirit. He says this is the fruit of the Spirit. It is all these things working together in my life. Now on my own, love is not the top of my list. On my own, patience is not the top of my list. On my own, gentleness is not the top of my list. But here's what happens. When I give my life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to work in my life. And this fruit begins to become more and more true for me. I have more love. I have more peace, patience, kindness, going down the list. And it's a work. And I can look back over the years and I can see the fruit of God's Spirit working in my life. And by the way, that very first one, if we can allow the Spirit of God to create love in us like Jesus had, wouldn't the world be a different place? Wouldn't the church be a different place? And that's what Jesus is saying. Here, you got to remain connected to me. Now, there's a process that we go through in order to bear much fruit. And that process is called pruning. And we see this in, in verse 2. He prunes the branches so that they will produce even more fruit. Notice he says, the branches that are producing fruit. The other branches have been thrown away. There's a lot of discussion about the other branches. We don't have time today to get into that discussion. But can I tell you what I believe? Because it makes most sense when you tie it with Scripture. That the branches that are thrown away are those that were like Judas. They were close to Jesus, but they weren't connected to Jesus. They were close enough to know what was going on, but they had never surrendered their life. So uh, those are the branches that have been thrown away. But he says those branches that are connected, those branches that are bearing fruit, that I'm going to prune them so that they will continue to bear more fruit. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like the word pruning in my life, right? I, that's, not, that's not what we're looking for here, right? We got the fruit. Uh, it ought to be great. Uh, can we do something else besides pruning? But Jesus says, I'm going to prune those so that they will bear more fruit. Now, again, not being the gardener, I had to look up a, a good definition for pruning just so I would know what I was talking about. And, uh, and I, so I Googled it. I, I said, hey, Google, what 
is pruning. Here's what Google said. Reasons to prune plants. Reasons to include, uh, prune plants include deadwood removal, shaping by controlling or redirecting growth, improving or sustaining health, and increasing the yield or quality of the fruits. I thought, wow, what a definition. I mean, that, that's a, as good of a definition as you can ever get, in my opinion. In our Christian life, we go through the pruning process in order for the dead things in our life to be removed. We go through the pruning process in order for God to shape us and redirect our growth in our lives so He can change us and form us into who He has created us to be. We go through pruning in our life for our spiritual health. We go through pruning in our life to increase the yield or the quality of the fruit. You know, when I put that definition together with what God said, I thought, you know, pruning is not a bad thing at all. Pruning is actually a good thing. And those of you that are gardeners going, duh. We know pruning is a good thing. But pruning is a good thing in our lives. Sometimes the pruning is painful because sometimes things have to be removed that shouldn't be there. But the pruning is a good thing because in the pruning, we are being made more and more like Christ every day. And that's what he wants when we're connected to the vine. So, so how do we remain connected to this vine? How do we do this? Well, two, two quick ways that we're going to see here. One, we've already talked about. One is you must know Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have to be connected to the vine. Not just close enough to the vine to see what's going on. You have to be connected through the, to the vine. And that is through salvation. That's through surrendering your life to Christ. And the second is this. To obey his commands. Look down with me if you would. Uh, verses 9 and 10. He says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey the Father's commandments and remain in his love. So Jesus says, remain in my love. Here's how you do it. Obey me. Jesus came to this world. He came to do what the Father sent him to do. And now for us, our job is to do what we have been left here to do. And that is to bear fruit. And we do fruit, we bear fruit, we remain connected to the vine very simply by knowing the vine, which is Christ, and obeying His commands. Well, how do we know what His commands are? Well, we know what His commands are when we read His Word. And we also know what His commands are through the Spirit that speaks to us and through us. And when we know what His commands are, it's very simple. We just obey His commands. So our part, very simple, bear fruit. And then there's a promise that we see here. What, what will be the results of doing what we're supposed to do? What are the results for the Christians that are remaining in Him, Christians that are abiding in Him? Well, the first thing is this. You will have a fruitful life. If you remain in Him, you will have a fruitful life. Now, this is very obvious, but I want you to notice again what he says in verse 5. For those that remain in Him, they will produce fruit. And not just fruit, but he says much fruit. 
And to me, that is saying that as we continue to grow in our relationship with him, that fruit will continue to grow and grow more and more and more to where much fruit will be produced. Secondly, we will have a fulfilling life. In verse 7, he says that if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything that you want and it will be granted. Now, this verse has been taken out of context so many times in so many different ways, it's not even funny. But let me tell you what he is, he's talking about here. When you come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior and you begin to grow in your relationship with Him and you continue to grow and the Spirit continues to work in your life and you continue to become more and more like Christ, you also begin to think more and more like Christ. And as you begin to think more and more like Christ, then your prayer life becomes more and more like Christ's prayer life. It is no longer a selfish prayer life that is just asking for things that you think will make your life better, but now it is a prayer life just like we see later in the Garden of Gethsemane where Christ is praying, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But then he says, he ends it by saying, not my will, but your will be done. And the more we become like Christ, the more we are praying, God, not my will, but your will. God, as it is in heaven, let it be on earth. And our prayer changes. And those are the prayers that God loves to answer. And then the third thing is this. You will have a joyful life. Look down at verse 11. Verse 11. He says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. And yes, your joy will be overflowing. That is the promise. The more we grow in Him, the more joy that we have in our life. And let me explain, we've done this many times, but joy and happiness are two different things. Happiness comes and goes with whatever our situation may be. But joy always remains. And it is the joy of the Lord that should be overflowing out of our life. And can I tell you this? Joy is contagious. Joy is contagious. And when we understand what He is saying, when we're abiding in Him, daily abiding in Him, and we are living the way that He wants us to live, and we are bearing fruit, then that joy will overflow in our life, and the world will see that joy. And I promise you today, we live in a world that wants joy, that needs joy, true joy. But true joy only comes through abiding in Christ. That is a lasting joy. And that is the promise that we have. So questions this morning as we close. One, do you understand who the vine is? And are you connected to the vine? That means have, have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you surrendered your life to Him? And if you've never done that, then today is a great day. Matter of fact, today is the day of salvation because we're not guaranteed tomorrow in our life at all. So if you don't know Christ today, then please, today, make that decision to follow Him. If you're connected to the vine, you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, then remain in Him, abide in Him, and just allow Him to have control of your life. Is He in control or are you in control? Has He got this? Or do you think, I, I've still got this? Let him have it. 
and watch what he does. And then you can count on these promises in your life. Let's pray together this morning. As you bow your head and close your eyes today, I want you to consider those questions. And I would encourage you today, if you're a follower of Christ, you know him as your Lord and Savior, to look back over your life. Maybe you've been a Christian for a short time. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. But can you see the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life? Are you abiding in him? And I would just challenge you right where you're at today, just say, God, what do I need to see through this message today? For those of you that may be here that Maybe you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe, uh, maybe you've been going through your checklist and you think that's good enough. Then today I would challenge you, just put that checklist aside and look to Him and give your life to Him. Today, if He's speaking to your heart, in whatever way, don't turn from Him, don't run from Him, but run to Him. Father, I thank You today for your word. Thank you for the challenge that comes through your word. Thank you for the promises through your word. God, I thank you that you are the I am. God, I thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And God, I thank you that your love never changes. And God, I thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to give your one and only son to die on the cross for us. And that through him, we could have life. Through him, we could have salvation. And God, I pray for anyone here today that has not received that that gift of salvation, that today your Holy Spirit would just draw them unto yourself. God, I'll pray for those, maybe some have been Christian for a long time, some a short time, but God, whatever it is that we need to see through this message today, would you just speak to us? And may we be obedient today to follow your leading in our life, whatever way that that may be. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.